Thank you, Natalie, and thank you, Deshaun. Um, when was the last time you had a moment, this profound moment, and you got this sense that there was something else going on than just the physical, than just the beyond our five senses, beyond our, our relationships with folks, beyond living the normal day, where all of a sudden you've got that, this moment that there's something spiritual that's happening. Did you hear that? We actually heard it from Veda, right? She's heard that word, and she knew that word was from her. And there was something beyond the doctors, beyond the, the medical Beyond all the diagnoses and all the, the, the solutions, there was a moment that was where this, in the midst of the natural, the supernatural invades, and it changed something in the physical. The, the spiritual reality changes something in the physical. Now, unfortunately, all things in the spiritual realm is not good. Did you know that? Important to be mindful. We're a culture that's growing and appreciation of spirituality, but not all things in the spiritual realms are good. In fact, we have an enemy who is a fallen angel, that there are other fallen angels. So sometimes I've had a spiritual experience, what we call a thin place moment, and rather than the presence of good and healing and God, there's a presence of evil and maliciousness. Have you ever had one of those moments? Sometime last year, we did a series that we called Thin Places, and we, we looked at some of these thin place moments in Scripture and, and said, what, what, are, what do they have to teach us? What, they're preserved in Scripture for a reason where the supernatural is entering the natural, where it seems like the curtain between spiritual and, and physical is, is opened up. So what do those moments have to teach us? So we only did a short series, and I heard from a number, number of you, hey, could we do that again? Because there's so many stories in scripture of these thin place moments. So we thought we would return to the series Thin Places 2 and just look at, because I, I think as testimony by some of you, there is a, a power in those thin place moments. There's a, a work, a ministry that God wants to do in our lives. And we want to learn to pay attention to those moments. I'm convinced that those thin places are all around us. And for many of us, we're missing it. We're asleep. Things are happening, and we are unaware. So if you would, if you've brought your Bibles, would you turn with me to First? Kings, way back in the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 19. If you're having trouble finding it, 1 Kings is right in front of the book of 
Yes, good. Second Kings, yes. You should be able to locate it. If you haven't brought your Bibles, you can. there's some Bibles in the uh, seats in front of you. We will have uh, this on the screens if you want to just listen. So this is the prophet Elisha. I'm sorry, Elijah, not Elisha. Uh, Elijah, and he just finished this really what was the climactic moment of his profound ministry. He, uh, the nation of Israel, their faith in the one true living God was reducing. And in fact, because of the evil queen Jezebel and King Ahab, they were pursuing the prophets of God. In fact, they were leading the nation in the worship of Baal. And they had all these prophets of Baal that Jezebel and Ahab had really raised up. And so, so in the previous chapter, Elijah has this, this kind of conflict, this come to, to Jesus moment in the Old Testament uh, of on Mount Carmel. It's Elijah against 450 prophets of Baal. It's a challenge. He wins. Bam. He dominates. And he doesn't see any change in the nation. In fact, right after that victory is where chapter 19 picks up. Now, King Ahab told Queen Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. 450 prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent word, message. Uh, messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. That's a death threat. She's going to kill him. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life when he came to Beersheba in Judah. He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness is where he fled. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. And I am no better than my ancestors. Let's just pause right there. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> we just got done reading Jonah. <laughs> right? And he was there. And what is it with these suicidal tendencies of the prophets of Israel? Right? They're done. But I want to suggest to you that even though he uses some of the same verbs of Jonah, that this is a very different circumstance for Elijah as opposed to Jonah. Jonah was in rebellion, remember? Jonah was upset that the loving kindness of God was poured out on the Ninevites, and he is mad. And God meets him in that mad place. For Elijah, he's discouraged. He's weary. He wants to be done. I think you're going to see that, that God doesn't confront Elijah in the same way he confronts Jonah. He meets Elijah, and I want you to pay particular attention to how God meets the needs of Elijah. 
how he ministers to him and what he says. I think there's some rich fruit for us in how he confronts. No surprise, he's going to ask him a question just like Jonah, but for different purposes. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there, there by his head was some baked bread over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Angel bread. Can you imagine the angel like prepared some bread? That'd be sweet. I bet you that was the best tasting bread Elijah ever had. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. So he's in the wilderness. He gets some angel food and drink. He makes it to uh, um, the mountain, mountain of God. He's in a cave. And the word of the Lord came to him with the question, what are you doing here, Elijah? Does God not know why Elijah's there? Why does he ask the question? Was it for, for himself or Elijah? Yeah. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. He's discouraged. He's done. He had this awesome victory in the Lord and Nothing has seemed to change. Can you relate to that? The discouragement, the weariness, the tiredness. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. There a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, just like the fire that that burned up the altar on Mount Carmel and the victory of Elijah. He sees the fire, yes! But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Of course, like the New King James translation of those words, uh, a still, small voice. How is a voice still? Don't know. But there was something supernatural in that moment. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. Can you imagine the the power and the presence in that still, small voice caused Elijah to go, he 
covered his face. And he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. The voice said to him, same question, what are you doing here, Elijah? Same reply. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And what he's going to do is he's going to have him anoint three leaders. One is going to be a foreign king who will bring justice uh, and repentance to Israel. The next leader is the uh, king of Israel. So they're going to bring a new king, finally replace the evil Ahab and Jezebel. And then finally, the third leader he's going to anoint is his replacement, Elisha. And then just look at the last verse there, verse 18. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah is not alone. In fact, there's 7,000 who are with him in the Lord. Now, an interesting thing about the history texts of the Old Testament is often they give you no commentary. They don't tell you why. Why wasn't God in the fire? I mean, that would have made sense. Why wasn't he in the earthquake or the wind? Why this still, small voice? They don't tell us. Why does God... Ask the same question. Why does he bracket this thin place experience for Elijah and then ask the same question and then Elijah give the same answer? Why? Well, that's why we have to pray and study and think and reflect and ask the question, what difference does it make for us today, this really thin place moment. So let's just take a look at the text. And I would say this is a, a powerful, a powerful story of really three aspects of a thin place that that Jonah Jonah, Elijah experiences the supernatural in the midst of the natural and in three really profound ways. The first one is he gets a visitation from an angel. That was pretty sweet. And how many people were able to eat angelic bread? I mean, awesome, right? He gets that. Did you know that within scripture, angels are mentioned over 250 times in the Old and New Testament? This is not a, a rare occurrence for the people of God, but this happens again and again and again, Old and New Testament. We are told that it does, it's not just God that gives us these thin place moments, but messengers. In fact, Hebrews 1.14 says this, 
Are not angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? They're saying this is meant to be part of the Christian life, the children of God, that sometimes we have an awareness of these angelic messengers, and they can minister to us in supernatural ways. I want to suggest, friends, that perhaps this is happening on a regular basis, and yet we're simply not aware. In fact, uh, Hebrews would say, uh, give another admonishment and encouragement he would say, uh, it would say, um, you need to start hosting people because you're missing angels that are among you. Pete, how are we doing? Good? So Pete is one of those folks I believe that God places in communities of faith to encourage us in these directions. Pete, on a regular basis, gets a sense of the presence of angels in our midst. Right? Pete, how about now? Do you have a sense of the presence of angels? Two behind me. Awesome. Some at each door. There's a moment that I still have this in my Bible, Pete. He gave me of a picture of a big angel standing behind me as I preached. I've gotten that from four or five other folks. When we were on the mission trip in uh, Hickoria, that he had a sense of an angelic ministry that was happening there. What are we going to do with people like Pete? What are we going to do? Listen to him is a good idea. To be a, a sense of say, Lord, I, I, I want to hear what you're doing. I want to see what you're doing. I want those thin place moments in my life. If that's part of the way that you minister to my life, I long for it. Help me to see, help me to grow in awareness of these thin places. A, a second way that Elijah sees, now, now keep in mind that there's some crossover here or a foreshadowing of Jesus' life and ministry, right? Jesus went for 40 days into the wilderness. Do you know who ministered to Jesus? Angels did before Satan came. In fact, the angels helped him in his facing of temptations. Yet another ministry of angels. He gets that in that, that moment of challenge or difficulty. Some of you confessed, I'm assuming, as you came forward, that the angels want to help us as we seek to walk the path of righteousness. A second ministry that we see is the voice of of God. In fact, we saw that in a couple of different ways. First, we heard in the question in verse 9, and the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah, 
what are you doing here, Elijah? And then he also gave him instruction of what to do, very specific and direct things. But then also this idea of a still, small voice. Now, I would argue that the voice of God in our lives is meant also to be a predominant and significant part of our faith. Probably more so than angels, but I don't want to compare the two ministries, right? But the, the voice of God, the, the, I would say that both scripturally, right? John 10, uh, God, he is our good shepherd, Jesus, and the sheep will know his voice. Uh, John 14, the spirit will teach us all things. And yet experientially, I know this. Right? In, in hearing and discerning, that's been meant to be a part of our journey, that we're discerning and listening and trying to hear and discern the voice of God when it is impressed on our soul, like I think the still small voice was for Elijah. Like when we hear it in the pages of Scripture, when we hear it in a song sung, when we hear it from a, a truth spoken by someone else, when we hear it in the prayers of people, I'm assuming that some of you had a thin place moment as you came forward to be anointed and prayed for by these leaders, that you were listening for the voice of God in the midst of those prayers, that God wants us to be a people of his voice. And yet often we're unaware and we're not listening. In the Old Testament, it was meant to be a significant part of the people. Listen to this. Uh, this invitation from the psalmist in the midst of worship. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. And then he says, today, if only you would hear his voice. As the people of Israel gathered at the, at, at the temple, he was saying, would you today, in this moment, in worship, as you're bowing down, would you hear the voice? And then he says, don't turn away as you have in the past. Don't rebel. Don't disobey that voice. Would you hear that voice? And obey that voice. Friends, I believe wholeheartedly he wants us to be a people of the communion of saints, of the ministry of angels, as well as the presence, uh, uh, the, the voice of God and the third way. Did you notice that after the question and after the response, look at verse 11. One of the primary ways that God wants to meet Elijah's need is by his presence. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. And he gave him an experience, not just 
of his voice, but of his very presence. The third way. Is it a little bit of a soapbox for me? Yes, God is omnipresent. Think of Psalm 139, where David says, where can I go from your presence? Where can I go from your spirit? But also there is this immediate presence that Jesus promises. He says, when two or more are gathered, I will be there also. There's an immediate presence. And I love the story of Exodus 33, right after the golden calf incident, and God is so upset with the Israelites. He says, all right, go to the promised land, and I'll send my angel, but I'm not going with you. Some of you remember what Moses says. He says, hey, stop. If your presence isn't going, I'm out. I think it was one of the best moments in Moses' ministry. He says, how will people know that we are your children if your presence, your immediate presence or, or manifest presence isn't there? Friends, I believe that God wants to have a, a ministry in our lives, not just angelically, not just by his voice, but also by his presence. Listen to some of these passages that speak of the ministry of presence. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them, his children, from all human intrigues. You keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. You ever had a difficult time where people are saying stuff about you, junk about you? What's one way that God wants to minister to you? His presence. Or also, Psalm 1611, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Ministering the presence, his presence, brings profound protection and safety and joy and life to us. Friends, it's my conviction that God wants to minister angelically by his voice and by his presence. Again and again, growing up, some of you, maybe this isn't true of the church as much today as it was when I was growing up, but I had a lot of leaders that would say, no, 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 don't ask for experience. Experiences come and go. It's just the word of God. The, would you focus in on the word of God? Anyone have that teaching before in that way? Some of you, yes. And I would say, yes, the word of God is important and absolutely it's the foundation of our life. But that doesn't mean we don't long for the presence and power of God. We don't long for those experiences, what I would say, thin place experiences that can be life changing for us. Veda was sharing this thin place a moment. Do you think it changed her life at all? I mean, we were praying that she would be able to get away with Paul. And she was able to do that. 
Friends, I believe not only that God wants to give us those experiences, but also that we're missing many of those opportunities to step in and experience God in those profound ways, those thin place moments. If you look at your bulletin, I realize the second half of the of the message is somewhat negative because I was saying we need to challenge that we're missing so much of this. So I'm going to turn it to a positive. But one of the reasons that I think that we are missing these thin place moments and these ministries that God wants to give us is that we are not mindful of the spiritual realms around us. We're not being challenged by the people like Pete. We're not hearing enough testimonies like Veda. We're not believing that this is part of how God wants to minister to us. Here's the Hebrews passage, 13, 12. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Why not? For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. I love the word unawares, right? So many of us are either asleep as Natalie prayed or we're unawares of what's going on in the spiritual realms. Listen to what Paul said about the work of the enemy, the, the evil spirituality in our midst. He said to the Corinthians, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Paul was saying we are unaware. As, as leaders, we've become aware of the enemy's schemes. I wonder if Paul read screw tape letters and really took that in by by, by C.S. Lewis. He, he's saying we're aware that there is a spiritual realm, that he has an agenda, that he's at work, and we, we don't want him to outwit us. We want to know his schemes and come against them. But we have to be aware of his schemes. I was thinking of, yes, we're going to pray for Luke and Cambria as they go off to, to uh, Southern California and so it's a bittersweet moment for Kendra and I as we release and, and let them go. And their whole life, I've used this phrase, situational awareness, situational awareness, situational awareness. Wherever you are, wherever you go, be aware of the people in that place. Be aware of what's going on. Don't, don't be having so much fun or what have you that you don't see what's going on, especially in L.A., situational awareness. Now, spiritually, how could we apply that? A spiritual awareness. A spiritual awareness. Just as I say in the physical realm, look around Take in the, the restaurant or the grocery store or whatever situation that you're in. Take that around. So in the same way, look in, inward, or look up in this circumstance. God, what are you doing in this moment? Do you guys do that for the Sunday morning worship experience? I hope so. Saying, God, what are you doing 
this morning? What, as we gather in worship, how are you at work? What are you saying? What am I bringing to the table? Are you looking within and looking up? I'd have to say, friends, that this praying and anointing with oil, that was a thin place moment for many of us. That the Lord was speaking and sharing and guiding and directing as we prayed for one another in that moment. We want to grow spiritual awareness. I'm learning, going back to school and learning a little bit of spiritual direction. And I was uh, working with a pastor and I was saying, listen, I'm really not the director I'm just a fellow beggar looking for bread and I don't have the bread you need. The Holy Spirit, he's the real spiritual director. I'll go with you. He needed, there's a number of areas of discernment and which way to go that he really needed. He was looking for bread that I don't have. Only Jesus does. Well, maybe angels, angel bread. And I said, I'll pray with you to discern the bread that's going on. Spiritual awareness. That's the first way. That The positive is that we can be mindful, that we can be aware, that we can be asking the question, God, what are you doing in this moment? Even in a one-on-one conversation, If someone shares something with you, God, what are you doing in this person's life? How can I join your work in this person's life? Secondly, is we're not mindful oftentimes. We're also quite simply not listening. We're not asking the question, God, what are you saying? Jeremiah 7.13, while you were doing all these things, he says to the children of God, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called you, but you did not answer. I remember I was praying really hard for a family member who was not seeing, and he was living, an extended family member, not my immediate family, He was not seeing a reality in the path he was going. And I just had this strong sense that, yeah, God's not going to violate his free will, but he's going to speak to him. He's going to invite him. He's going to give opportunity for him to hear and repent and turn. That's how God works. He speaks to his children again and again and again. He invites us again and again and again. The only issue is, are we listening? Are we obeying? Are we hearing the voice of God? I believe he speaks to those who do not know him. Again and again And again, one of the ways I think we can grow in this listening is 
Um, I, I think it's interesting, the people that go to the wilderness. Jesus went to the wilderness right, to hear from the Lord and to face the enemy. So here Elijah flees to the wilderness. Can you imagine the, the wilderness or a cave on the mountain compared to the hustle and bustle of the city that Elijah heard? It's a principle in, in, in Christian spirituality of exterior silence often breeds interior silence. Exterior silence often breeds interior silence. Speaking of the enemy, one of his primary tools and schemes for us to keep us unaware is noise, distraction, and busyness. Life is full. Right? Kids and, and work and families, all sorts of stuff. It, it's, it's filled there. And so he wants busyness, noise, and distraction. For many of us, there's hardly ever a quiet moment. Our feet hit the ground, and it's family, and it's voices, it's noise. In the car, it's the radio, right? At work, it's, it's busy. We hear that. Home, television, social media. If we get a free moment, what do we do? I didn't bring my phone with me because I love Jesus, so I left it out of the sanctuary. What do we do? If we have a free moment, what do you do? <laughs> oh, I love this video of the cat. That is awesome. Yeah, that's right. Oh, The enemy wants to fill all those moments that we don't have that time. Did you remember that phrase? Exterior silence breeds interior silence. Now you can have interior silence when things are busy. I, I, I tried to, to practice that. But there's something about getting away. There's something about stepping away from TV or social media or voices. There's something about getting away on a regular basis to simply be with the Lord. Friends, if you want to begin hearing his voice more, if you want to begin a, a, a greater awareness of angelic presence, of, of dreams, of, of visions, of these thin places. You're going to have to be ruthless in terms of removing the busyness and the noise and the distraction from your life. Period. And then finally... This, I think we're not mindful, we're not looking for the work of God, we're not listening, and we're not living lives of what I'd call presence. That we're not saying, boy, there's this 
ministry of presence that God wants to have in our lives, and we're simply missing it day to day. Listen to this convicting Psalm 101.7. No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. We're not only busy and distracted, but we leave this unconfessed sin, unconfessed thoughts in our lives. And we know that God's presence doesn't mingle with sin. In fact, sin gets in the way of God's presence. So I felt compelled to share that confession piece that's in James 5, that he wants us to confess our sins to one another and to him to clear that way so that we can experience his immediate presence. Again, when I was younger through InterVarsity, I'm so appreciative that they taught me how to have a quiet time, how to spend time with the Lord in his word and how to pray in the morning. And so in college, I started having a quiet time and I still do to this day as I have a quiet time, I try to do it in the morning. But then what I would do in college is I'd have a quiet time and I'd hear from the Lord and then I would just live my life for the rest of the day. And then I'd be tired and serve him, but it was good, put my head on the pillow and I was good. And a little bit later after college, I began to start reading about this idea of practicing the presence of God and going, oh yeah, I don't want just that half hour in the morning that I'm mindful of God, but like during the day, when I'm like washing dishes, when I'm meeting with a friend, when I'm preaching sometimes. Another part of Christian tradition is sometimes there's a a word or a phrase that can help bring you back to being mindful of the presence of God. So the phrase that he's given me is this phrase. I'm here, Father. I'm here, Father. Sometimes I'll be in the middle of something and I'll realize, boy, I haven't thought about the Lord for a couple of hours. So I'll just, sometimes I'll stop, sometimes I'll pause and I'll say, I'm here, Father. I want to know your presence more. Would you be with me, Lord? Lord, I'm I'm weary with this task. In fact, I've been putting off this task all day because I don't want to do it. Can you relate at all? Lord, would you be with me in this task? Would you make it better? Lord, I've been putting this conversation off for a couple of years. 
Would you be with me in this conversation? Lord, I've got this, uh, this meeting at work that I'm concerned it might go south. I'm here, Father. Would you be with me in this meeting? I think the Lord gave Elijah a still small voice because he wanted Elijah to know that his, the slightest of his work and presence is enough for anything he will face. Elijah knew that God could be in the fire. He just won the conflict with Mount Carmel. But he needed reminding that it actually doesn't matter what opposition you're facing. It doesn't matter who's king or queen, who's your boss or who's in charge or who pulls the strings of power. It doesn't matter how many voices are in opposition to you. Just my smallest voice is enough. Would you pray with me? So would you just take this moment and say, Lord, how are you desiring to minister to me in this moment? Is there a thought? Is there a truth? Is the way that you're inviting us maybe to confess sin? Maybe to simply express gratitude for your good work. Maybe a, a moment of clarity. Just between you and the Lord, would you have your own thin place moment right now?